greetings and salutations out there, sports and wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. It is time for another glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. I, as always, your humble but glorious host, the ace of Tennessee Sports Podcasting, Michael Shibley. It is another great day. We've got a bunch of huge stuff to talk about. I'm excited. I'm coming off just watching the women start the Women's World Cup 13-0 over Thailand. We'll get into that in a little bit, but of course we've got plenty. The finals are down to the wire. We've also got, of course, winners in French Open. Uh, the College World Series has had some great performances already in the NCAA baseball tournament. We've got controversy in dodgeball, which I will get into. And of course, just awfulness and awesomeness in wrestling from two different companies. So we will break all of that down here on Modern Day Gladiators. Let's dive into it right now. Of course, the big thing we're going to talk about is the fact that both the Toronto Raptors and the St. Louis Blues had a chance to win their respective championships at home, close out the series, go home with the big trophy, and couldn't get it done. They couldn't close. They are guys and teams that are not and have not been in positions to close out series. They've closed out stuff in this playoff, but they have not had titles on the line and were not able to do that when best presented. We'll start, of course, with the Toronto Raptors who had a six-point lead in the final uh, couple of minutes there in Game 5. The home crowd was in it. Drake was going his usual self. Kevin Durant is now out. He did start Game 5, but it looks like now he has torn his Achilles tendon, which means he is not coming back for a while. So that, again, there's a debate on whether he should have played or not. That's for another time and discussion. But you look at it, then the Warriors go on a 9-0 run, the Splash Brothers. Curry hits two big threes, Klay Thompson hits another one to put them up, and then the Raptors get a bucket, and then you have Lowry missing a game-winning three at the buzzer. Great defense there by the Warriors to defend that three, and he just missed it. It didn't even get close. It went to the other side of the backboard. That's how bad of a shot that was. They were not ready to finish it off. They weren't ready to close it. You got to see Nick Nurse calling some of those timeouts late. Were they prepared? Did they have different things going on in their heads? I don't know, but it was not good there. It was just interesting to see what's going to happen because now game six, it's going back to Oakland. Oracle gets one more game. Are the Warriors going to be able to force a game seven back in Toronto? We'll see. Now they definitely know that Durant is not coming back. So it's the Splash Brothers, it's Draymond Green, it's all of them. They're going to rally around, and we will see what happens with that. And of course, the other thing that's happened, it happened back in Game 3, so it's been a while since we did the show because it happened in the interim of having these episodes on here. But of course, I've just got to say briefly about the Warriors investor. He's a minority investor. He's an owner, is what I'm calling it. Mark Stevens, uh, the billionaire. He has now been banned, of course, from all of those uh, games for a year and all of that stuff because, again, he shoved Kyle Lowry after Lowry had to dive for a loose ball. And again, there's just been this weird back and forth, and I don't even know why we're having this debate, honestly, because you look at the tape, and it was malicious. The guy, Lowry was two, three seats down from him, and he just goes and shoves him. That was a malicious shove. That wasn't a, hey, get off me, you dove on me, even. He just shoved the guy. And yeah, it wasn't like a huge shove or anything, but there was malice behind that. And it's weird that people are arguing differently 
which is odd to me. And one of the other things I'm tired of is people are like, well, if Drake did it, would he get punished the same way? I'm sure if Drake actually had malice behind anything that he truly did at those games, yes, he would be punished for that. So don't bring that. If he just shoved Steph Curry or just shoved Draymond Green with an attempt to fight him, oh, absolutely, there would be ramifications for Drake. So, But that hasn't even come up. So I'm tired of that that scenario in that hypothetical situation because it hasn't even come up at this point if it does then we'll deal with it but it hasn't but again you can't have these type of interactions you can't have you 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 had the interactions with Russell Westbrook in Utah jawing at a fan because a fan was saying certain things and again that's the risk reward you get when you have fans so close to the action like that they are literally sitting courtside it's the name of those seats and people who can afford them they're putting them there so again stop with that stop touching people don't do it i don't know why you even would do something like that in the first place trying to be part of the action so again it was the right move to make i i'm people of course are calling for even more they're calling for a lifetime ban I don't know if you do a lifetime ban. A year's fine. If you think you need to compound it at that point, sure. Do it again. We'll address that at a later date. But again, really what the Raptors need to focus on is finishing this game. You do not want to get to a Game 7. Yes, it would be back home in Toronto. But again, the Warriors have been here. This is their fifth straight finals. They know how to win championships. And again, someone's going to have to step up. And that's why you got Kawhi Leonard. That's the gamble that you did is to get you into this situation. You saw what happened back, I think it was in the conference semifinals, when it was the Raptors and the 76ers in the Game 7, and it looked like at that point the Raptors were all just trying to give the ball to Kawhi Leonard because they were the only one they felt confident in. None of them had any confidence in themselves to finish and win the series, and luckily that ball went in and they were able to do that. But again, you've got to do it as a team. Kawhi can get you there, and he will guide you, and he can lead the way, but everybody else has to come around and do their part. I think the Raptors can do it, but again, I'm not going to count out the Warriors until they've been beaten, and that's the thing. You've got to go out and beat them. As Ric Flair always said, to be the man, whoo, you got to beat the man, and that's what the Raptors need to do. So we will see what happens, and of course we'll talk all about that on Modern Day Gladiators. I was hoping the St. Louis Blues would have finished off the Boston Bruins in Game 6, so then we could talk about a full winner here on Modern Day Gladiators, but that was not the case because St. Louis at home laid an egg 5-1, to one, and now we've got Game 7 in Boston tomorrow night, Wednesday night, which, again, as of this recording, Boston rallied, was able to stave off elimination, had a great third period, and all of that. St. Louis, they had the chance, the cup was in the building, And it might have been too big of a moment for him at this point. We'll see what happens in Game 7. Anything crazy can happen in a Game 7, especially during the Stanley Cup. We've seen it. It's crazy. I'm... If I had to pick, I would lean toward the Bruins. And again, with Boston trying to win three titles out of the four major sports in one year, that's pretty damn impressive. We will see how that all shapes up. But I would go with the Bruins, but I'm not 
backing off on the Blues at all. It would not surprise me if the Blues get the win. We'll see. It's Game 7. I'm going to be excited no matter what. And speaking of excited, the Women's World Cup has gotten underway. I love it. I have been thrilled watching it, eagerly anticipating when finally the U.S. women's national team would take on the pitch. And they did in Reims this afternoon as of this recording to play Thailand. In Thailand, they are the 34th ranked FIFA in the FIFA World Rankings, U.S. number one. Whew, it looked like Thailand was like the 100th ranked team. They're probably down there with Lebanon and, and I don't know, uh, French Guiana or something like that. I, I don't know. But the U.S. women's national team put a hurting on Thailand. 13-0 in the opener. 10 goals scored in the second half. It was just a 3-0 game in the first half. And I was like, that's plenty. I feel very comfortable with this. And, and my wife and I, Mrs. Shibbles, was sitting down and we were having dinner and all of a sudden we look back and every time they're scoring, they're scoring. I would look around and it's like, it wouldn't stop. It was amazing to see. It was the largest win in Women's World Cup history. Alex Morgan had five goals for the U.S., seven different goal scorers in the game, which is great when you can share the wealth, and they shared a lot of it in this one. I felt bad for the Thailand, the goalie, 40 shots by the U.S. team, 20 on goal, and obviously 13 of them went in. Meanwhile, Thailand was not able to do anything on offense. They only had two shots the whole the whole match, which was just bad. The U.S., meanwhile, of course, they've got Chile on Sunday, who lost uh, 2-0 to Sweden. Uh, Chile, they're the 39th ranked team. I'm not anticipating, again, another 13-0 or something like that destruction, but I do think the U.S. will probably win that one and should win that game Easily, we'll see how all of that shapes up, and then of course the U.S. Uh, later in next week they're playing Sweden to wrap up group play, and of course Sweden was the team as I've mentioned before knocked out the U.S. in the Olympics in the quarterfinals of the Olympic tournament back in 2016. So they're looking for payback there, and of course Sweden, the ninth ranked team in the FIFA World Rankings, U.S. number one. So we will see. No real surprises so far. In the FIFA World Cup, pretty much everybody who's won has gotten wins. There's only been, I think, one draw between Japan and Argentina. That would be maybe about the only surprise so far through the first games of group play. But I'm feeling really good about the women's team. The complete opposite of my feelings of what's going on with the men's national team. Because they, in the warm-up to the CONCACAF Gold Cup, which is the, again, regional competition they have every two years here with, of course, North America, Central America, and the Caribbean, the U.S. has laid some eggs. They have played Jamaica and Venezuela, have not scored a goal in either one, lost both games on U.S. soil, uh, 1-0 to Jamaica, and then just an absolutely abysmal first half against Venezuela, 3-0 to Venezuela. So again, that is not good going into it. I The U.S., we were feeling better about it when they got the new coach, and they hadn't lost yet, and things were going okay, and now they have laid some serious eggs leading up to the Gold Cup. It is not, I don't feel good. At all. Had zero confidence with what's going on. There's been no creativity on offense. The U.S. is still one of the just weaknesses that the U.S. has is theirs is so bad with the ball at their feet. They just they just can't do some of the things. You look at 
some of these great world powers in Spain and England and France and Brazil and how just artistic they are with the ball at their feet, not just passing it, but being able to dribble out of trouble and do different things that way. The women's team is far better on ball than the U.S., but there's no creativity on offense, and the back line on defense just made so many mistakes. The midfield, it was just a just abysmal performance at all leading up to the Gold Cup. Now they're playing Guyana to start. God help us if they don't win that game to start uh, the Gold Cup starting here next week. And then after that, the game after that, it's June 22nd, they're playing Trinidad and Tobago. And those of you know, that's the team that knocked the U.S. out of qualifying for the World Cup. And you know how I felt about that if you've listened to any part of any of the podcasts I've been on. I've never been happy about that. So the U.S. men's team... Pull themselves up by the bootstraps right now and get to work because I am have no confidence in you. Have all the confidence in the world in the women's national team. None in the men. Not good, men. Get your stuff together. I don't care how you do it, but get it together and get into that gold cup and do something because at least if you get to the final and lose to Mexico, that's what's ex- expected. It's always the U.S. and Mexico in the final, pretty much every time, except one year I think Canada won it and J- Jamaica upset us one time in the semifinals, but that's been pretty much it. Anyway, U.S., get your stuff together, get to the final, we'll deal with Mexico at that point. So, whew, but we like to congratulate, of course, winners here on Modern Day Gladiators, and we had some winners in the French Open as, of course, we got to congratulate Rafael Nadal getting his 12th French Open championship, beating Dominic Thien of Australia, or Austria, I'm sorry, Austria, uh, for the second year in a row. He knocked out Djokovic in the semifinals, uh, and Nadal actually dropped a set in the French Open final to Thien. He lost uh, early. He won 6-3, then dropped 5-7, and then came up and dominated 6-1, 6-1 after he dropped that second set. And there were murmurings going through the crowd that, ooh, something could happen. Nadal might lose at Roland Garros. And then he proved them wrong, winning 16 of the next 17 points, 12 out of the next 14 games. Again, and Nadal with his 12th win at the French Open. It's the most ever in a single tournament, uh, unseating Margaret Court, who she won 11 Australian Opens back in the day. And that was even back when a lot of the top players couldn't even get to Australia because obviously it was on the other side of the world and travel was not as easy back then to get all the way over there. So she had an advantage with that. Nadal again, 93-2 and at Roland Garros. That now gives him 18 total Grand Slams. He's only two behind Roger Federer. And again, we'll see what happens with all of this because so many questions are coming what young guns are going to start stepping up in men's tennis? Because it's pretty much been Federer, Nadal, and Jokovic for the last almost, it seems like, 10 years. I mean, But you look at anybody who's won multiple Grand Slams over almost the past decade, and you look at the ages. Roger Federer is 37, Nadal is 33, Jokovic is 32, and then you have Wawrinka, who's won like three. He's 34, and Andy Murray, who's coming back, but it looks like he his body might be breaking down on him. He's 32. So men's tennis could be in for some serious trouble at this point. Yes, it's great to watch the great players go at it, but that's been it. Yes, you get an occasional other guy thrown into the finals, but it has been just these top guys, and that's been it. And that's almost... 
I use the comparison with the WWE. You got to have some young guys to come up and take it away from some of the stars at some point because you need to push the next generation. You can't just have the same old guys stinking up the joint the whole time. I'll get to that in the wrestling segment. But congratulations to uh, Nadal again, an all-time great surefire Hall of Famer. And again, we'll see if he can catch Roger Federer. I think, though, he's going to have to win somewhere else other than Roland Garros because I, I keep thinking, again, Nadal at 33, someone's going to come and bite him at some point at Roland Garros. It's going to happen. Nadal's body can break down. We'll see what happens there. Congratulations also on the women's side to eight-seed Australian Ashley Barty for defeating the unseeded uh, 19-year-old Marketa Von Drusova of the Czech Republic, 6-1, First Grand Slam, not only these two women hadn't even gotten to a semifinal before uh, the French Open, let alone playing the first Grand Slam final. And hats off to Ashley Barty for her perseverance when it comes to tennis because she was not having fun with tennis in 2014, quit, went to play cricket for two years, and then found her love for tennis again, came back, and she's now a Grand Slam champion. So congratulations to her, and again, great feelings there, a little bit different. You've got new people coming and winning on the women's side, you've got the same old song and dance on the men's side of tennis. We'll see what happens at the All England Club at Wimbledon in the next month. We're done here with the first segment, but before we go and take that break, I just, again, want to give thanks to Joe Shirt. They are our leading sponsor here on the Outlander Media Network. They've got sponsorships with all the great shows we've got here on the network. They're providing merchandise. They've got some great shirts. They're comfortable. They're easy to wear, and they can help your business, whatever it is. It's shirts, it's banners, it's mugs, anything that you're looking to help expand your brand and get that name out there, they can help you. If you go to joeshirt.com, they can work with you. they got great prices. If you're local here in the Knoxville area where they are, and they've been doing this for 30-plus years, you can come. They can work with you. they got great prices. The shipping is low. Great things there. So check them out again, joeshirt.com. And of course, again, you are listening to Modern Day Gladiators on the Outlander Media Network, where again, if you check us out at outlandermedia.net, you can check out, of course, Modern Day Gladiators, you can check out Halfle, Deadbeat Radio, DLC Respawn, Phantasm, we got some other great podcasts coming in the pipeline, so get ready for those, we're making some great appearances out at Secret City Fest, and some of the other uh, independent wrestling shows, like Win in Rome, that just happened. So again, the guys are out there. We're all out there trying to spread the word. And again, you can help us as well by liking, sharing, subscribing, wherever you get these podcasts, wherever you listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, any of those places, share, like, subscribe, give us those five-star reviews. And again, you can follow me and you love what you hear. Again, you give us those five-star reviews. I will love you forever. And of course, you can let me know what you think of the podcast. You can interact with me, Michael Shibley, on Twitter, Michael underscore Shibley. You can also check me out on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Day Gladiators. Just search right there and you'll find my daily updates that I do talking about whatever's on my mind, sports or wrestling-wise in that realm. I got a minute of coverage there that I just kind of drop you a little sports update. So again, hope you guys appreciate that. And again, just share us. That's how we get out there and we get more words out there to everybody. You guys can help us. We do our part. And again, we work our hind end off to bring you the best content that we can. 
But again, we can't do it all without you guys, and we appreciate all the fans we've got out there. And again, spread the word and say, hey, check out these guys. They're young, they're hungry, they're wanting to bring entertainment to the wide masses. So again, we appreciate it. We are going to take a break, but we are back with shibbles and bits and all the ups and downs in the world of professional wrestling over the week. Coming up after the break, you're listening to Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. always love having that theme here to open up shibbles and bits. It's time to see what else is going on in the world of sports. And of course, we're going to start with college baseball and softball. The College World Series has been set. Congratulations to the eight teams who won the best two out of three series there in the Super Regional. Vanderbilt, Florida State, Louisville, Michigan, Mississippi State, Texas Tech, Auburn, and Arkansas. We've only got four seeded teams left. The rest of them were unseeded, which is awesome to see a lot of great balance there. On the men's side, of this tournament, you've got four SEC teams in there: Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, Auburn, and Arkansas. All made it in. So again, and one of the things we gotta look at here, of course, one of the best performances you will ever see in college baseball pitching ever, probably the best. It's gotta go. And again, we tip our hat, a true modern day gladiator, to Vandy freshman uh, Kumar Rocker. He had. Uh, they were down. Uh, one game already. Again, a best out of three. So Vanderbilt and Duke were playing. Duke won game one. So Vanderbilt, do or die in game two. And Rocker goes out there. And not only does he strike out 19 Duke Blue Devils to unseat David Price's team record of 17 strikeouts in a game, he also throws a no-hitter. So a 19 strikeout, no-hitter, as Vanderbilt beats Duke and then goes on to win game three the next night. It was amazing. That amount of strikeouts hasn't even happened in Major League Baseball. The record was 17, and that was Max Scherzer and Nolan Ryan, a couple of pretty good guys. That's the list for that. So that was just amazing to see. David Price immediately went on Twitter and gave him props for that. That was just an amazing thing to see. It was an amazing performance. One of the best pitching performances you will ever see at any level of baseball. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully Vanderbilt can carry that momentum into the College World Series. We'll see where all that goes. Of course, the eight teams that are in there, it is double elimination. And then the two teams left standing, they play a best out of three to determine who is the best team in college baseball. One of those teams, as I mentioned, is not the number one seed. UCLA, they are out. They were upset by unseeded Michigan. First of all, Michigan goes and knocks out defending champion Oregon State in the regional round. And that included the Oregon State team who had number one pick catcher Adelie uh, Rushman, who was drafted by the Orioles, is the number one overall pick in the baseball draft, and the Orioles need all the help they can get. 
so I'll be happy to take him. But they were knocked out by a Big Ten school, Michigan, and then Michigan goes out and knocks out UCLA, the number one team and obviously the favorite to win the College World Series. It is amazing to see Michigan, a two-time champ, but they won one in the 50s and won one in the 60s. Uh, they had not been to a College World Series in 35 years. They're only the second Big Ten team in those 35 years to make it. Indiana made the College World Series back in 2012, I believe. So that's a really interesting story here as well. A lot more, at least in terms of parity on the men's side, of this compared to the women's softball side where you had pretty much all the top seeds get in except one so we'll see where that goes but again should be a great one here over the next weekend as action gets started on the ESPN network so check out all that great baseball action there in Omaha always a great atmosphere out there meanwhile on the softball side so if you're bummed if you're a UCLA baseball fan I know you've got to be upset that they didn't make it but you should be celebrating UCLA softball as they win their 12th national title in softball they beat the number one seed Oklahoma in the finals they won 16 to 3 in game one and then in game two though Oklahoma was rallying this is just a great game no matter what level of sport whatever it was just a great game to watch let me break it all down for you so UCLA they are one out away from winning the national championship it's the top of the seventh Oklahoma is down to their last at bat and Shea Knighton ties the game with a solo home run to get it to the bottom of the seventh so Oklahoma has all the momentum it's 3-3, three three, or 4-4 four four rather, and then you've got a runner on UCLA, uh, Kinsley Washington then hits a single, and then it brings a play at the plate, pinch runner Jackie Prober races in, beats the throw, beats the tag to win the championship in walk-off fashion for UCLA. Again, just high drama all around, just a great game. You could be, no matter what type of sports fan you are, you could sit back there and watch that end of that UCLA-Oklahoma game and be like, wow, that was a great game. That was a great finish. It doesn't matter what sport you prefer. That was just a great game, and hats off to UCLA winning their 12th national championship in softball. Sticking with Diamond Sports, we're going to Major League Baseball now, and again, we talked about the fact that there needs to be netting all the way from home base to foul pole in Major League Baseball stadiums, and something that had upset me over the week and again, I want to talk about it here, is Major League Baseball Commissioner Rod Manfred came in and said he does not expect teams to add more netting in season, which, again, to me, is something that I am very upset about and do not agree with. I think it's BS, honestly. But, again, this is after the the, the poor little girl was hit with a line drive um, and everything. And this is what Manfred said. I'm quoting here. He said, you know, look, I think it's important that we continue to focus on fan safety. If that means that the netting has to go beyond the dugout, so be it. Each ballpark is different. The reason I hesitate with beyond the dugout, I mean, a lot of clubs are beyond the dugout already, but there's a balance here. We do have fans that are vocal about the fact that they don't want to sit behind nets. I think we have struck the balance in favor of fan safety so far, and I think we will continue to do that going forward. And he also, of course, goes on to talk about the fact that, you know, there's Uh, safety being important and the fact that you know all the baseball parks they don't have the you know the ability structurally right now to get netting in during middle of the season which again is bs i've said this before i said this last week on this podcast put the nets up 
You have the all-star break. Don't 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 give me any of this about the fact that you don't have the engineering aspect or the, the ability to put these things in. All these franchises are worth tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. And you have an all-star break where you have a large gap where there's no baseball being played. You can put up temporary netting that's going to be you know, architecturally sound and get that up. Trust me. I am very sure of that. I could have an engineer on this show, and I'm sure he or she will tell you the same thing at this point. And again, the fans, and again, it is a small minority of fans who don't want to sit behind netting. Put the netting up, you can see perfectly fine. They've done it in Japan and Korea for years. They've done it in NHL games since that poor girl died you know, years ago. They immediately put netting up, and yes, it took the fans a second to adjust, and they adjusted, and it's been fine ever since. So put the nets up. I'm tired of this, this back and forth. Put it up. It's safety. What does it have to take? We've had enough little kids injured already. We had an old lady die last year as a result of it. Do we have to really wait until a child dies from one of these line drives? Is that what it's going to take at this point? Because you're, you're going to upset the vast, you know, a, a small amount of people like, oh, I don't like sitting with nets there. I can't really see everything. That's, that's honky at this point. Seriously. Put the damn nets up. That's it. And Manfred, I'm sure I'm sure you're listening. I know Rob Manfred, he's probably a big fan of the show, but seriously, put the nets up. It's not going to obstruct the views at all. You can see a big white baseball just fine unless you're playing at Tropicana Field there in Tampa. That that field is terrible. Get rid of it. That stadium needs to go away at this point. Terrible field. Get it away. Blow it up. They could play in a parking lot and it would be far better baseball atmosphere than playing in the Trop at this point. Whew. Anyway, switching over. I'm sorry, I got a little worked up there. But moving over to football, also baseball related, really when you look at it, is this came out over the week. Tom Brady apparently went out and went to apply for a trademark for the term Tom Terrific. He explained at OTAs when he meet, met with the press explaining uh, this past Thursday that his intention was to ensure that people didn't refer to him by that nickname so that if he trademarks it, they can't use it. I, I could go into the whole calm law ability about trademark and copyright and all that. Not going to do that here. But my point is he shouldn't be Tom Terrific. Tom Terrific is Tom Seaver. For those of you guys who are more than five seconds old, you should realize Tom Seaver... 74-year-old, but he pitched for the Mets. He won the World Series with the Mets in 1969 and won the National League Cy Young three times over his 20-year career. He's Tom Terrific. Nobody else should have that nickname. Doesn't matter. It's not like Country or Big Country, which, again, Trey Pack of Haffle insisted on being named, even though there's about 50 other people who are big in Country and nicknamed Big Country. Pick another nickname, Trey. That's why your nickname is... You know, sweetness, but I don't have diabetes because it's a much more original nickname than Big Country, which everybody else has. So seriously, I, I at this point, and who knows with Tom Brady whether to believe him or not. I choose to believe that he didn't want people calling it. it has nothing to do with Tom Seaver, which anybody in the media who does more than five seconds of research should realize that Tom Terrific is Tom Seaver. That's the nickname. Tom Brady has plenty. He's the goat already in, in football. If you want to call him that, call him that or anything else, but not Tom Terrific, it's Tom Seaver, end of story, get another nickname. I'm getting really worked up on the shibbles and bits when it comes here on Modern Day Gladiators, and I have another one, 
Because, of course, I apparently have been outraged and triggered all week long. So, and I get to vent it all to you lovely people here on Modern Day Gladiators. But another one comes up, and it involves one of our favorite uh, high school gym activities that we had, or middle school or elementary school. One of my favorite sports back in the day, dodgeball. A Canadian study, so you can kind of see where this angle is coming from. Canadian study says that dodgeball is a tool of oppression used to dehumanize others. They said, essentially, competition is about annihilating one's opponent. So, there's been talk for a long time. This is not the first time that dodgeball has come up, where they talk about that they're picking on, you know, the the, the unfit players, or the, the, the fatter kids, or the unathletic, and all that other thing. And it's... This might be a get-off-my-lawn moment. I don't know at this point. Maybe it's because my generation, we loved playing dodgeball. Maybe it's because back in my youth, I mastered the five Ds of dodgeball, which, of course, for those of you who don't know, are dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. And, again, I also trained under Patches O'Houlihan because I do know if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball, and I've dodged plenty of both. So, anyway, you realize that dodgeball... Yes, you have, you can be one of the throwers, you can be one of the dodgers. I've always been a quick guy, and again, I challenge anybody at Outlander Media to a foot race, and I will beat all of you because I am quicker than a hiccup, still at 36. I will back that up all day long, but you could not catch me with a dodgeball. I was quick enough, I'd always get down near the end because I could dodge. I, again, two of those five Ds of dodgeball were dodge, and I was very good at those. So, and again, I had an arm, I could hit people, but again... It was one of these things where I don't want dodgeball. It doesn't need to be a life lesson. But again, you balance things out. If you're not good, you can strive to get better. You can work it. One of the things that bothered me with this study was they always talked about how kids would always stack their teams. So what ended up happening was you'd get all the athletic kids on one and then they'd go after the unathletic ones who were all playing on another team. Which, by the way, was bad gym teachering. Honestly, because any level that I play dodgeball as a school activity, it would always be you number off one, two, one, two, one, two. And the ones are on this team. The twos are on this team. That's how it was. It wasn't you just put all the athletic ones there and have them pick on the smaller ones. No, you balance it out by just randomly numbering them off. That's how that always worked. and It should always work that way. So honestly, I think they need to do a better job of researching some of this and get a better sample size than just saying, oh, the kids left to their own devices will stack it. Well, of course they will. That's why you have adult and coaching supervision and have them number off properly. But again, what do I know? I'm just a sports commentator at this point. I've never played dodgeball. I've never experienced it. Talk about self-esteem. Well, guess what? You get hit you know, with a dodgeball a couple of times, either strive to get better or decide not to play. That's it. You'll work at it. It's, it's again, it's, it's, it's not annihilating one's opponent. I mean, that's any sport competition, whether it be athletic or it be in video games. You're doing that. You know, these kids are playing Fortnite. They're trying to annihilate everybody else. They want to be the last guy standing. That's how it all works. You, you, as Herm Edwards has said so many times and gone so famous, you play to win the game. And that's what you should be doing in any type of competition. But again, that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. But again, thank you guys again for listening to Modern Day Gladiators. We're going to wrap it up like we always do in the world of professional wrestling. And boy, what an up and down week it was in the world of professional wrestling, the one true sport. But let's celebrate first the good. Let's see how this music goes here. Let's see if I can do this right. We'll see. 
Ah, can you guys hear that? Ah, yes. Oh, Will Ospreay. This is his theme song there in New Japan. This is some good stuff here. We'll fade that out just a little bit. Oh, it's good to hear that. New Japan Pro Wrestling keeps my hope that wrestling's going to be okay. Will Ospreay was the MVP of the week, winning the best of the Super Juniors tournament with an incredible match against the last dragon, Shingo Takagi. It was a great match. And again, what ends up happening then, by winning the best of the Super Juniors tournament, he gets to challenge the uh, current IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. And he did that. That was Dragon Lee. They faced off at Dominion. Another incredible match. Will Ospreay had two just amazing matches in the span of one week, or no, less than that. I think five days is what it was. So congratulations to Will Ospreay for just being phenomenal. Pun almost intended there. With just everything that he does, and it's amazing to watch him. Just so much of the stuff just looks effortless that he does. The aerial assassin, and again, he's right there on the border between a junior heavyweight and a heavyweight. I would love to see him in the G1 Climax Tournament. And speaking of that, we've got a lot of people staking claim to getting part of the greatest tournament in all of professional wrestling every year. And that's the summer-long G1 Climax in New Japan, the Round Robin Spectacular. First of all, John Moxley, the former Dean Ambrose, came out in his first match against Juice Robinson, beat him to win the United States Championship there. And then he said afterwards... After not only beating uh, Juice Robinson, but then he fought uh, Young Lion Shota Umino at the beginning of the uh, New Japan Dominion event that they had over the weekend. And he goes out and says he wants in the G1. So that's another great guy. Shingo Takagi, who, again, off a losing effort in Best of the Super Juniors, comes out, wins his match at Dominion, and says, guess what? I want in the G1. I don't want to be just a junior heavyweight. I want to be a heavyweight. Put me in the G1. And then a surprise also comes out. Kenta, also known as Hideo Itami back in the WWE. Kenta is back in Japan. He's in a New Japan ring. He also wants in the G1. So you got all these great guys, including everybody else you're going to expect, including Tanahashi, Ishii, Okada, It's going to be a stacked tournament. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. We, of course, will break down all of that when the G1 blocks are announced here on Modern Day Gladiators. But speaking of some of the other great guys, two guys that will also probably be in there, Naito and Ibushi, they did another incredible battle for the Intercontinental Championship. This time, Tetsuya Naito gets the better of the Golden Star, Kota Ibushi. These guys, I want them. They have great matches, but they need to stop fighting each other and move on to some other... Guys, because they try and kill each other. Some of the moves they do is just bad. I mean, Naito suplexed Ibushi, and Ibushi's head just careened off the apron. If these guys didn't do the training they do on their necks muscles in in New Japan, Ibushi would have been decapitated. It, it was just, it was ugly, and I can't believe Ibushi's walking, let alone still performing for the majority of that match. It's just scary to see. Anybody who says pro wrestling is fake, I'll show you that clip and then I will prove you wrong, as I always will. And then, of course, you had the main event, Okada versus Chris Jericho. Okada defeating Jericho, rolling him up, 
to retain the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, but then Jericho unhappy with the loss and going with his Painmaker persona that he has versus the Rainmaker Okada, decides to go after him with a chair, and he was about to powerbomb him through a table, but then doing commentary was Okada's old rival, they're now kind of friends, Hiroshi Tanahashi, so it looks like whenever Jericho is back in the New Japan ring, he'll be facing Hiroshi Tanahashi, which should be amazing to watch as always, hopefully Tanahashi's body holds up. Also, you have a new never-open-weight champion with Tomohiro Ishii defeating Tai Chi for that belt. Again, this just sets up to be an absolutely incredible summer in New Japan. The G1 Climax is going to completely and totally reek of awesomeness. I am so pumped for it. Hopefully, you guys are too, and we will break all of that down on Modern Day Gladiators. Moving on to the stuff that is just depressing me, and that's everything going on in the WWE. They had Super Showdown, the show in Saudi Arabia, which I call Blood Money in the Bank 3. Uh, it, you know, all the matches really, for the most part, were all just glorified house show matches. They have Pyro now again, which I'm sure, you know, Jamal Khashoggi was happy that they had Pyro back there in Saudi Arabia, but... Still, you you look at everything, what everybody, of course, will remember was the fact that Undertaker and Goldberg, two guys over 50, were there, and just, again, yes, I know it was hot, and I know they were outdoors, and it was not a great environment for that, but Goldberg, you know, they had some botched jackhammers, Undertaker, you know, Goldberg was busted open, the Undertaker just looked, it's bad, because these guys had not looked 50 in some of these matches prior you know, in the last couple of years, but they both looked over 50 in this one. It was just sad to see. You had just a bad tombstone pile driver from Undertaker. It looks like Undertaker just ended the match almost out of frustration with a choke slam to wrap it up and defeat Goldberg. It was just sad to see, especially then when you look at what New Japan is doing and, of course, what All Elite Wrestling is doing. And, of course, you also have your standard 25-minute Triple H match against Randy Orton, where half of it's spent with both guys setting up new moves. It's just a slow and prodding, dictating pace, which is just frustrating to watch, where it doesn't have to be 25 minutes. You could knock off 10 minutes of that, and it would cover the same purpose and not be that long and just bore me to tears. And you have Shane McMahon, again, Over 50, beating Roman Reigns. Yes, he had help from Drew McIntyre. But at this point, Shane McMahon is almost your number one heel in the WWE. People are thinking he might get a title shot against Kofi for just, it's it's frustrating. That shouldn't be the case. Shane McMahon looks blown up after five minutes in the ring. It's not good. I don't know why anybody thinks of him as a threat. And yet you have 30 writers writing all of this. Where meanwhile, New Japan doesn't have any writers. They have a booker, Gato. And does a phenomenal job of getting you to care about it. And there's like five promos. They do the backstage stuff and that's it. You don't have these just long skits in the ring. You don't think New Japan can't do storytelling? Watch the relationship between Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi throughout their time in Japan and in New Japan. Just watch that, and you'll understand that New Japan can do that and get you to care, and it doesn't have to take 20,000 writers to do it. So, it's just just constant frustration with it. You had Seth Rollins beating... uh, uh, Just... Oh, my God. Seth Rollins won his match against Baron Corbin, who looks like an Olive Garden waiter at this point. And then Brock Lesnar comes out to cash in, but then Paul Heyman trips, which distracts 
Brock Lesnar and Seth Rollins is able to do curb stomps and get away. So again, they've teased Brock cashing in so many times and it hasn't happened. And then Paul Heyman comes out on Raw and says Brock's not coming. So it's again, Brock is just going to disappear for a while again. It's just, it's annoying, so annoying. And also the next pay-per-view for the WWE, which is what, two weeks away? Stomping Grounds, which is a terrible name for a pay-per-view. Not as bad as Great Balls of Fire, but still terrible. And pretty much all the title matches are rematches of what we got at a glorified house show there in Jeddah at Super Showdown. So it's just frustrating. And thank goodness I have New Japan to watch. I can't wait for the G1. It can't get here quick enough at this point to just keep my hope of wrestling going at this point. And All Elite looks stacked for Fighter Fest and then Fight for the Fallen. And then, of course, All Out. They've already got all that planned out. So again, if you are frustrated and driven nut by what's going on on the main roster WWE, you got New Japan, you've got All Elite Wrestling, and you've got NXT. You can still watch NXT and love wrestling. You don't have to just hang on with what's going on on the main roster of WWE. So again, New Japan keeps me happy, and that's all I can say about it. Thank you, New Japan, for doing that. That's going to wrap up this episode of Modern Day Gladiators. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. And, of course, please, if you like what you hear, five-star reviews, share it. Talk about it with your friends. I would love you forever for every five-star review you give us. But until next week, too sweet. I love you. See you next time.